Welcome to Doing Good Business, the podcast where personal and professional development meet. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach and talent acquisition consultant, and I'm joined every week by my co-host, Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, training you to bring positive business practices into any company. Doing Good Business is the podcast that teaches you that doing good business is not only possible, it's profitable. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Doing Good Business. Kelly and I are super excited to have our guest today. And we are going to be talking with Maury Fontanez. Maury is the founder of 822 Group. That's at 822group.com. And uh, I will kick it over to you, Maury, to introduce yourself in a, a way that you see fit. Welcome so much. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thank you so much, Kelly and Laura. It's so nice to be uh, on the podcast today. Uh, and thanks for having the discussion with me. I, as you said, I'm the founder and CEO of 822 Group. 822 Group is a transformation consultancy that I started after about, you know, just under 20 years on the agency side, uh, acting as global head of strategy and working with Fortune 500, having the great opportunity to go in and help with brand and customer strategy and change management. So, uh, my focus now is really on organizational chaos, identifying it, hmm. uh, healing it, and finding what we call the boundless opportunity on the other side. So really excited to talk about those things with you guys today. Mm, awesome. That's Thank great. you. Well, I have to say what what just jumped out at me is the word um, heal that you just used mm. in, in healing organizational <laughs> chaos. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've had to get comfortable starting to use those terms in corporate America because they're not, you don't hear them very often, do you? Um, you know, I think it's, for me, it's it's therapeutic. I've that's the uh, feedback that I get from our clients is that when they have gone through our method and spent the nine months, you know, to 12 months that it takes sometimes to get there, uh, that it really feels like organizational therapy almost because we're really dealing with looking at old stuck uh, habits and behaviors that are just not helpful anymore and finding their root cause and really starting to clear them away so that you really are healing that organism from what was ailing it so that it can then move forward um, unencumbered. I love it. This is Kelly, and I, I have to say, you know, on the other side to Laura's coin, so of course, chaos was the word that jumped out at me mm -hmm. in, that, in talking about organizational chaos. What is it that... Um, clients are dealing with or maybe don't want in their organizations, I can't help but think that it's a bit of a catch-22, meaning that mm -hmm. the, the leaders of the organization may not know there's chaos or they may know what it is, but they've ascribed another term to it of which they are not responsible for. So um, what do you see in terms of what's happening in these organizations that people come to you and say, okay, no, we recognize it and we need help? Yeah, I love the way you put that question because I think the first thing we run into is a reaction to the word chaos and a immediate distancing from that word, right? Mm -hmm. And what I always say is everybody has chaos. Every organization inherently has chaos. That is what happens when you bring together multiple people to try to do a thing, especially when you are doing that over years and decades, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So I think the first step is really to try and take away all the baggage from that word and be very self-aware as organizations and as people that chaos is really natural. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think that you're right. Leaders don't necessarily raise their hand and say chaos. They are experiencing <laughs> things that they, you know, that we can them tag under that category. And I think, you know, some of the common things we see are 
siloed departments, right? Where there are right. departments that don't connect, don't engage with one another, and therefore there's redundancy. There's, you know, a lack of, you know, really coming together and innovating together. There is uh, walls that are put up that then break down collaboration and the ability to really create forward movement. Uh, that's an mm -hmm. example of chaos that's just not called that. There's accountability is another, you know, I always say that uh, the root of chaos is the lack of accountability. Uh, mm -hmm. And sometimes accountability wears away inside of organizations uh, when people don't understand their roles, they don't understand the vision or the mission, um, and that we get into these bad habits of not having consequences and demonstrating that we hold ourselves accountable. When I talk about this, I always have a picture of Harry Truman, right? The buck stops here. Mm -hmm. That's true mm -hmm. leadership. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's different things that happen that turn into chaos that you're right, leaders don't necessarily call that. But when you really go and you look at it, you call it for what it is, right? The zebra standing in the room, that's a zebra. Right. It's chaos. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's good because the flip side to that is, you know, um, order and, and non-chaos, right? So there's exactly. a flip side to everything. So once you name it, then you can work toward making it better. That's right. Love so Maury, this is Laura, and I'm going to jump in. So those are some really hard conversations that you mentioned, you know, whether it is looking at an organization that's completely siloed and thinking about how do we get to a more matrix environment or a leader that doesn't really know, you know, how chaotic the environment is. How do you, how do you have those hard conversations with your mm. leaders? And, you know, why do you think they're so important? I, I clearly have a feeling on that, <laughs> but I'm curious mm -hmm. about, you know, what is it to you that, you know, makes this work so important that you're willing to have those difficult conversations and then how do you approach them? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that there's a, a few things I've learned in having those hard conversations. I think the first is to just listen, first and foremost. Um, you know, I value empathy, so I really try to embody that. And so when I'm walking into an organization, I really try to put myself in the shoes of the leader who's had, you know, to call us in and how that might feel and what they might be thinking about themselves and really try to just listen um, without judgment and, and really try to understand how they're feeling. And if I am feeling that anxiety or the defensiveness, also just naming that and saying, look, I've been, you know, a part of a lot of really big organizations. And I can tell you a time when X leader felt anxiety about Y and really try to just kind of calm the um, fears that there are around, you know, what is this process going to be like? What am I going to hear? Uh, the second part is not always having to hear it from me. I really, you know, part of our methodology is to collect feedback from the workforce and also from the customers. So they're hearing it from their, you know, target audience, their stakeholders uh, in a way that they can absorb because it's relevant to them. So it's really about, you know, not just coming in and being the authority figure and diagnosing and here's your problem, but listening and also reflecting. I would say we act as the mirror or the, the bridge, um, reflecting what's happening within the organization and letting them hear from their workforce in a safe way where they can kind of take that feedback and realize, oh, okay, here, you know, are the issues. And then what we do is just shine the light on, okay, and, and the roots of those issues may be X, Y, Z. And then they're more open mm -hmm. to kind of the diagnosis. It's like if you're going to the doctor and you know that your knee hurts, you know, then you are open to hearing why rather than someone telling you, you know, your knee hurts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's awesome. I think just staying in that pain place with you. Yeah. You know, I always say I would not yeah. make a good nurse because if someone, or especially me, because if someone came in, I'd be like, oh, 
that looks like it hurts really bad. Like, yeah. hold your hand, right? <laughs> like, I don't necessarily spring into action. And so I, I right. understand that, right? That you have to have those, you know, people, and that's the value that you bring, uh, no pun intended, right? Um, but that's the service that you bring to people and then helping them move forward from that so they're not staying in yeah. that place of pain. Yes, exactly. Samora, mm-hmm. you have awesome. shared that empathy is something that you value. And, you know, I'm curious about your values. You know, I'm assuming empathy is one of them. But, you know, when mm-hmm. you talk about valuing empathy, you know, what are your personal values? How do you incorporate those into your leadership? And, and how do you really let them have a starring role in your organization and the work that you do? Yeah, I, you know, I have a ton of values. I think I always point to, you know, the top five or six that I really feel like I live every day. Um, and those are self-awareness. Self-awareness is really important to me. And I try to cultivate that with our partners and clients and my team. Um, because I think if you always understand who you are and your strengths and your challenges, uh, then you can build more trust and credibility with others. Um, accountability then comes from that. I just talked about accountability. There's, you know, I feel like you understand your values when you really start to look at the things that make you really uncomfortable or trigger you. And I know that from my years in corporate America, just the lack of accountability used to always be a really big trigger for me. So really examining that, you know, where that was coming from and understanding that I hold myself to a really high standard of accountability. And therefore, that's a really clear value that I have. Um, and, you know, you're right. I, empathy is absolutely one of them. And I always put love in there. Um, I value love. I think I lead with love. I've heard uh, team members of mine um, from the agency days to today say, it always feels like we're part of your family like mama bears got our back. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think about how much time you spend at work and the fact that we feel like we don't have to bring our humanity there and that we don't have to bring love there um, is sad. I think that's what makes mm-hmm. it hard to be there sometimes for people. So I value love and I try to embody that. And then from that, I think just deep connections are something I value um, and gratitude. Mm-hmm. I know Laura and I completely agree with you. And it's a big part of why the the podcast started was we feel that there are so many people who work on themselves as individuals and, you know, are aspiring to be their best selves. And why should they have to leave that at the door to the office building when they walk in? Right. Because that disconnect is so stressful. So, you know, I I personally love hearing you say that myself. So couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm hearing the word love to... more and more in corporate. Like it's it's starting to be less mm-hmm. taboo, and maybe just a teeny teeny little bit. But you know, I I love that you just incorporated love as as one of your values because <laughs> I am starting to see that, and I think it's really, I think it's a good thing. So I was curious. Um, you know, we hear so much about like the quick hits, and in you know the world where social media is everything and there's a new algorithm or strategy or, or, or something every week. How do you kind of get companies to do the deeper values-based work? You know, a lot of people are concerned about where we get, you know, what's our strategy over here? How many likes does our Facebook page have? What's our LinkedIn profile look like? You know, what's our engagement? And all of that has its place, but I think that can become so much noise that we almost lose the ability to focus on the deeper conversations and the values conversations. So how do you start them in this world where a lot of times people are going after kind of quick hit things? Yeah, you know, I actually think that we have social media to thank for this conversation about values Mm -hmm. and purpose in a corporate world. 
Uh, and that's because consumers have so much power now. They have access to so many things and they expect to see themselves in your products and your services. And so there is a demand to understand values and purpose and mission uh, like there never was before. There's a stat out there that says 70% of millennials um, will pay more for a product that they believe in, the, the cause wow. and the purpose of the brand. Uh, and I really mm -hmm. think that we have social media to thank for creating that connectivity. But I think to answer your question, Yes, sometimes, you know, what we're seeing is that companies are prioritizing the flashy and social media being one of them. Uh, and the way that we really talk about that is, look, we want to give you a foundation, a framework to build that connection through this channel of social media. The work to understand, you know, rediscovering your mission and understanding your values and how you live them. Uh, you won't be able to communicate really clearly and in an impactful way about how you show up in the world. But once you have that framework, and let's say you know your five values and you've rediscovered your mission and you understand how you're going to get there, you all have a beautiful framework for plotting in your Instagram posts and your videos and your podcasts because they're falling in line with that messaging framework, really. It's, you know, old PR but it's really kind of looking at it through the lens of let me show the world who I am as a company. And so you need to do that work, understand it, have the frame, and then uh, that social media strategy will just be so much easier. It won't be overwhelming anymore. So, Maury, it's Kelly. Um, again, completely agree with what you're saying. And I'm a big mm -hmm. evidence person in what I do. Again, based mm -hmm. on my background, uh, started client services, new business development, marketing, right? I was always some type of a, a face of the organization in some way. And, you know, so I'm very big on being able to say, this is who we are and this is how you know it. And I think about a lot of the companies that I know of and some of the more traditional values that you hear, you know, like we value excellence, we value integrity. What are some of those ways then that companies are demonstrating that and is that, you know, in their videos and their social media, like how are they conveying to someone that beyond what we just say we, we value, here's the proof that that we actually are, are walking our walk? Yeah, the first answer to that question is alignment. It's organizational alignment. So it's taking those values, you know, the companies that you see doing it um, means that every department within that company is living that value. So marketing and HR and operations and sales and engineering are all uh, really kind of thinking about those values and making decisions based on those values every day. So if our value mm -hmm. is integrity, then we are making decisions about our partners in operations based on looking at their business. We are looking at our hiring and our staffing practices based on integrity. Yes. We're thinking about marketing based on integrity, right? If integrity is a value, mm -hmm. then there are certain marketing tactics that are tried and true that we wouldn't touch because absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank so you. So it's really yes. about <laughs> alignment exactly across the board. And I would say from there, uh, it's really about leadership demonstrating and talking about the values and making big decisions based on values and attributing those decisions to values uh, constantly, uh, because that's what creates the air um, and the culture inside the organization of 
we are a values-based organization and we're not just talking the talk, but we see our CEO and our C-suite and our business unit leaders living that every day and making really hard decisions, uh, that's really inspiring to the workforce and they can't help but to mirror that same uh, thing. And then once you're doing that, it's very easy to market yourself as being values-based and then it's actually authentic. I'm curious about, like, like Kelly and I talk a lot about, you know, a company's values should be more than a page on their website. And, you know, if we were to walk into your company and spend a week there, how would we actually know what your what your values are? What are some of the ways that you see that, you know, when you talk about alignment and, and I agree, you know, full life cycle, right? It has to start at, at your recruiting and hiring. And, and that's my personal background, but it also has to be really clear in your leadership and your day to day and your team management and your meetings and your marketing and, you know, soup to nuts. But what are some ways that you have seen organizations really making their values more than a page on their website, like living them? Yeah, I will say, I think there's a, a few. Number one, it's the where the money goes, right? Where money mm. is being spent uh, is very reflective of your beliefs and what you stand mm. for. And so an organization that's values-based is investing in things that reflect their values, and they are not investing in things that are counter to their values. So uh, the spend uh, is really a key way. Um, the second is really around how they are looking at the development of their employees uh, and their careers and how they reward and recognize values-based behavior. And if those rewards and recognition are held up to the same standard as things like, you know, increasing revenue or decreasing margins, um, that, you know, rewarding values-based behavior sits at that same level is really, really critical. And then the third piece is customer engagement, right? I think sometimes, um, you know, I come from the agency side and, and our motto is on the agency side, the client's always right, right? The customer is always right. And so, uh, you know, it's easy sometimes to forget your own values when you're operating from, yes, you're always right. Uh, and so it's really about looking at values and boundaries with our customers and making sure that we're always being who we are and who we say we are, always acting in the best interest of the customer, but not stretching ourselves outside of our values uh, to meet them in a place that we shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so important because with every business paradigm, one of them, you know, customer is king, kind of a, that, that type of paradigm, mm-hmm. the customer focus, there are anomalies in all of the paradigms that we've used to, to, you know, that companies use to become successful. And I think that that touches on the, the single most important anomaly for me in my perspective of helping companies, you know, do well by doing good. And um, mm-hmm. that is using that as kind of justification for straying from their values, the ethics. Sometimes we see that in breaking their laws, you know, breaking, breaking the law. And I think it's like, it's like a slippery slope. When you talked earlier about breaking the old habits, right? It's it's almost easy and comfortable to fall into this because it's like there's big some unwritten rule in the sky that says, well, as long as the customer said do it, then it's okay. <laughs> and it's right. not. And so I'm really encouraged and hopeful to hear that you are working with clients to help them to really understand that that's not a, a get, get out of jail card, right? get out of jail free yeah. card for them. Well, and that's the hardest one to convince companies on, right? Because the purchase mm-hmm. power is is big. Right. And we I think wouldn't getting be in them business without our customers, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you know what? 
there's, there's uh, opportunity space in customers that align with your values that if you live them mm-hmm. every day, you would be surprised that how your mm-hmm. customer base grows um, because then people start to see themselves in the brand and, and in the company and your workforce changes. Um, so, yeah, right. you do lose maybe some customers that don't align with you, but then you have this abundant opportunity in places you weren't even looking. Do you have? Do you feel that there are certain leaders who really jump into the deep end with you? I would imagine some are open clearly to identifying the root causes of mm-hmm. what might be causing chaos, even if they don't call it chaos, right, in their organization. But do you get some leaders that are just like, Yes, right. We're open to this new way of thinking, but we know values-based thinking is not really new, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, there were companies that became very successful based on strong values, and we don't want to throw them out right. the bathwater. But you know, what are some of like the qualities or characteristics of a business leader who might come to you and say, "Yes, we we get what you're saying. Values are are integral to our bottom line, and we're going to reframe our challenges." through that lens to find these opportunities? Is it like, is there one kind of persona of a leader that really responds to that or is just excited and, and greets you with, yes, Maury, let's do this work. We can't wait. (laughs) Uh, You know, we, I don't think there's one persona. I will say having really high EQ um, Mm. makes the person really excited to work with us for sure. It, It takes away any stigma of, again, that word chaos, like, oh my God, why are they here? What's our chaos? It's just when you're highly emotionally intelligent, you realize that that's part of uh, the way that an organization works. Um, I will say, you know, my background, as I said, is working with really complicated, complex, big organizations. And one thing I've had to embrace in this iteration of what I'm doing is that startups are really, really open and excited, and it's a really huge opportunity to build it right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the CEOs that I work with in the startup space are definitely more sleeve-rolled up and and engaged than I ever expected because, you know, they're dealing with 100 things at once. Um, But that's been a really, really lovely surprise. And I think in the larger organizations, uh, what I always love is one department lead or one uh, business unit lead who's like, I'm going to try this. And then they mm-hmm. do the work and then they act as a beacon uh, or a lighthouse within the organization. And then everyone's looking at like, wow, you guys are really efficient and effective. And, you know, look at your numbers, look at the way you're you're collaborating and working. And, you know, then they can point back to this work and, and then that spreads. Um, but, you know, there's not really one personality type. It's more just, you know, kind of being okay to get in and be on the ride with us. We always say our values are that we're real, connected, and courageous, which means we're always going to tell you the truth no matter what. And if you're willing to hear it and work through right. it, um, you know, and we're gentle and we'll do it in a way that, you know, we want to see you succeed is, you know, we can just tell right in that first meeting if, if we can have a truthful, direct conversation with you, um, we know that it's going to be a good relationship. So exciting. So as I can't believe I'm saying this, but as 2019 is winding down, um, it's true. They say the older you get, the faster time goes. What are you, what are you excited about? in you know, the last little bit of the year, what do you have on the horizon? Um, You know, anything that our listeners should be on the lookout for, just anything that you're excited about seeing out there in, uh, in your work that you want to share with us? Yeah, you know, I actually, we took our own advice. And so we spent a lot of time being strategic about our own values and our own uh, direction before we started really 
being out there and loud on social media. And now we're finally ready for that. So I'm really excited for the content series that we're going to be starting in October around emotional intelligence. We're going to spend, you know, six months really delving into emotional intelligence. Uh, I'm excited about the, um, you know, people that show up at our talks and webinars that are just so empowered when they leave to go introduce something new to their organization. And then I've been partnering with LinkedIn Learning on courses, and I'm about to uh, start my second one. So, you know, the first one was on values. We're, we're thinking about what this one will be. But really, I think for me, it's getting um, the word out there and the education around starting to use this language, starting to be really comfortable with it, and just the reception that we're getting uh, has been really exciting. Yeah, it's so interesting. So emotional intelligence, you know, I think we all know has been around for a long time, but I'm, and I don't know if you would agree with this, Maury and, and Kelly, but I'm seeing a real resurgence of it right now. Like all of a sudden something happened and people are suddenly really interested in it again. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I have a theory as to why. Oh, I, hear I love to hear it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, so it, it goes. I'm not even getting like talk <laughs> requests and the work and you know, like from individual client consults that I'm having on my side of things and, you know, organizationally, it's like all of a sudden it's emotional intelligence is a big deal again. So I would love to hear your theory on why. Yeah, I mean, I, it goes a little bit back to what I was talking about with social media, which is that the digital era really connected us. It, it shrunk our world mm-hmm. and it expanded our world at the same time. Right. And so mm-hmm. there is a demand for brands to show up differently. Uh, and people are understanding now that purpose equals profit. Right. And right. the problem is that there's got to also be authenticity in there. Uh, and so I think the companies are figuring out, OK, so if we have to be authentically purposeful um, or purpose led, what does that look like? And emotional intelligence is a huge part of it. So I think it's trendy right now because it's part of the language that we're having to learn as business people to survive. I always compare it to, you know, you had the industrial age, it came in, it knocked out a whole bunch of businesses that weren't ready for it. The digital age mm-hmm. came in, it knocked out a whole bunch of businesses that, you know, you know, RIP Blockbuster were not ready for Netflix. <laughs> and I, you know, what I talk about is the era of connectedness is the third mm-hmm. era I think that's coming. And when a business is truly connected, they will be able to survive that. And I think there's an intuitive sense. And obviously, the purchase power is telling uh, businesses that it's coming and we've got to figure it out. So that's why I think EQ is uh, top of the menu right now. I agree. And well, I think, um, too, that it's because um, for so long in the greed is good era, people were faking it till they made it and they were making it mm-hmm. by faking it. So they didn't have to. And so in that um, theme of not being prepared, like not ready for it. Now you really do like, what does it mean? You've got to go move past that purpose washing. If you, you know, who are you is important. It's not just something that you throw up on a piece of paper and stick on everybody's cubby, right? Like you have yep. to actually explain what this is. And there is a yep. call for understanding that and how people respond to that differently. You know, what may be integrity for me looks a little bit different maybe than how you might define integrity in a real life right. context. And so there's a real call for communications around it too. So it's exciting. Awesome. Well, Maury, thank you so much for being here with Kelly and me today. We greatly appreciate it. It's been super fun conversation all about your values and your organization's values and how you help company do the deep and important work. And uh, thanks for the theory on EQ because <laughs> I've been seeing it and I'm be willing to bet our listeners have been seeing it too. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, what's going to get 
companies to move forward and, and be successful is that connection piece and that emotional intelligence. So here's to more of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you both so much for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business, designed to bring out the best in you and your company. We welcome your reviews and ratings and would love to hear from you. Send your comments, suggestions, and questions through our online form at doinggoodbusiness.com. Stay in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting for all of your coaching and talent acquisition needs, and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you incorporate the social business paradigm into your company. Learn more about us and our respective services at the Doing Good Business website. Thanks again for listening and remember to expect good things from everything you do.